What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem. You are listening and watching Untold Stories, where twice a week, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders, smartest people in the room, and the ones who, during the times of pandemic, during the times of the dips, during the times of the bear, are building new projects and new companies. And uh, I was very excited when uh, my guest today, Lena, Lena Seicha, you uh, launched the, the BTC Times. And I was very excited when you had launched that uh, and to talk about it, because I think um, what's happening in our multi-chain, multi-coin world is sometimes when I like to talk about just Bitcoin or glorify Bitcoin and the ethos of Bitcoin and the history, sometimes I'm looked at or I'm automatically judged as a, as a maximalist or someone like a supremacist, a Bitcoin supremacist. And, and I think it's unfair because, and one of the reasons I started this show was to not let the, the past 10 years of, or 11 years of Bitcoin's history go to waste. And I think one of the reasons you started the BTC times is, is to, to focus on like, like, like Bitcoin from an economic, technical, social, and political angle. And, 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 uh, that mission it's really important to me too. So thank you for doing that. Thank you so, for, so much for coming on the show. And you're the managing director. Yes. And thank you for having me. And that's an awesome intro. Uh, do you find yourself at odds sometimes feeling when you're writing about a, a pro-Bitcoin article that it'll be perceived as an anti-something else? I think it happens. I think we have... Uh, we definitely have our audience and then we have people that say, oh, it's a Bitcoin maximalist outlet. So you're biased, you know, in favor of Bitcoin and um, you're anti everything else. That's a blanket opinion that we've been confronted with. And that's just something we have to deal with. Well, I would rather see it as we want to report on Bitcoin and not get distracted with all the other stuff that's out there, of which there is a lot. And there's a lot of outlets that talk about that, but we just want to focus on Bitcoin. Bitcoin is, is cons from, from, from day one, Bitcoin has been compared to things. And uh, partly because it's easier to understand something when we compare it to other things. Um, but Bitcoin is impossible to compare to everything else because it's a whole new paradigm shift in and of itself. And so when the media compares Bitcoin to something, uh, and then you start to see like the gold versus Bitcoin or the Ethereum versus Bitcoin debates, between you and I, all those debates, we never created those debates. I feel like they come from the other side. I feel like the gold bugs created the gold versus Bitcoin debate. It might be the case. A lot of the comparisons that you see, especially in the media, I think they're created to make the whole concept of Bitcoin a bit easier to grasp because Bitcoin is really novel as you say and a lot of people have no idea what it's about you know and if you if you just go and google bitcoin and you go to the wikipedia entry you'll just be super confused so i think a lot of the comparisons are um, created to make it easier to understand and some of them make more sense than others and uh, some of them i'd argue even have helped bitcoin a little bit in terms of adoption i would agree with that too because um when the messages get separated, uh, the, the folks who are looking for like a specific thing now, like the, uh, um, you don't have to dilute that message. You can focus on one specific thing. 
Um, and there's some great topics. Like one of the, one of the things I've been looking at lately because um, you see, I feel like I feel like in the last month or so, uh, especially last week with with China coming out with its usual annual FUD. You know, it's China banning Bitcoin FUD. They do it every year. And then you have the U.S. FUD now saying that all Bitcoin transactions, you know, would need to be reported in tax. There's always every year it comes out. It, 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 markets, uh, they try to tame our markets by putting out mainstream media and putting out fear, uncertainty and doubt. When our market gets too hot, they try to tame it. It happens all the time. You've seen it 10 times. That's what's happening now. That's what's happening um, that's what's happening every year. It's it's exhausting. It's like I throw Nick Carter sells these FUD dice. I just throw them. Like, what's what's the FUD of the day? Uh, but talk to me about hyper-Bitcoinization. Have we reached that point where it doesn't matter? Um, well, we've not reached the point of hyper-Bitcoinization, but if you're asking if we've reached a point of you know no return where we're on the way towards hyper-Bitcoinization, we might be. You know, if, if hyper-Bitcoinization is the point at which Bitcoin becomes the, the dominant monetary system, you know, the dominant unit of account and uh, the, the main form of money that people, you know, store, save and transact and maybe essentially replaces the fiat system. It's, it sounds, I think, crazy to a lot of people, but I wouldn't say it's unrealistic sometime between now and the next hundred years or so, even though that might even be uh, a bit a bit bearish considering Bitcoin has come so far in the last 12 years. But um, I think we are on the way there and the fiat monetary system is certainly not helping itself with uh, what's been going on. There's a lot of doubt that's been uh, growing, not just among Bitcoiners, but among a lot of people seeing how much money is being uh, created and wondering, you know, wh where does it end? And you said something very interesting there. You said like take over the, the the fiat system or the money supply. What I've learned recently is there actually isn't like, there's not just one system, right? There's so many systems around the world and like the dollar, there's the M1 money supply, there's the M2. Then there's physical money that's 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 out there in circulation. Then there's debt money, like money that's actually just dead against other things. There's a lot of different types of money in, in, you know, dollars, as you would say, or dollar, you know, in circulation. Uh, but Bitcoin's different because it's not just like that ledger. When you go from one financial institution to the next, you have the ability now to actually custodialize your money on your own. So it creates a monopoly, not from one financial institution to have to compete with the other financial institution, but the whole financial system has a, now has a counterbalance that's Bitcoin. And as long as that counterbalance exists and enough people believe in it and use it and want to use it and, and hold it and store it, the legacy financial system will constantly have to like compete with that. My fear and, you know, some of the things I point out is like, the messages that you see today are muddled with like stable coins and coins that are backed by other things and not in that faith system, that belief system of like we, you know, Bitcoin is value because of that supply demand. Uh, what happens if there's like a hyper push towards using these like government backed stable coins or 
government-backed crypto tokens, and everyone's like thinking that they're using crypto. But at the end of the day, they push Bitcoin into this like stupid little niche collectible historical thing. Have they been trying to push Bitcoin into this niche historical one, collect yeah. right collectible thing for like the past decade or so? It's digital uh, central bank digital currencies or CBDCs. I think are more of a threat to uh, you know today's stable coins than to Bitcoin. And there is going to be a huge push for them, and we're seeing a lot of that already. Um, some countries are testing, and others are researching. But most central banks that are you know looking into it are saying. It will be great. It will be super convenient, and it will be. And that will be, you know, the it will be so easy to use that it'll make you forget what the the negative implications of it are. And um, it it will not it will not replace Bitcoin, and it will probably make Bitcoin only more important. Just because you'd have to be incredibly naive to think you'll have a central bank digital currency and still be able to use cash. You know, you still have cash today. And there's a lot of, you know, I think the ECB, they say even if or once we have a CBDC, you'll still be able to use cash for now. But mm, they would ban cash if they could right now. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. it you know, it, it gives you privacy and, you know, it's alone the temptation of having a digital currency in in your control that theoretically you could use to to control the money even more and to watch what your people are doing if if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time it could get really ugly for you and so bitcoin is not threatened by that at all bitcoin is the solution to to that hey guys the coin gaming io folks are back at it with another amazing promo this time they're giving away three teslas from april 19th to June 27th. It's so cool. Bitcasino.io forward slash Charlie. There's so many incentives and promos and things that they've been giving away over the past few months to my listeners. But now if you go to Bitcasino.io forward slash Charlie and you play their game Live Crash and you can get in the top 10 in all 10 tournaments, you'll be entered in to win one of three Teslas. So all you got to do is go in there, play some slots, play some games, get into the top 10 in any of the games, and you'll be entered to win one of three Teslas. I mean, how cool is that? They've been giving away stuff at St. Patty's Day, at Valentine's Day. They're constantly, we're, we're always doing so many amazing promos. Bitcasino.io forward slash Charlie. You will not be disappointed. The most important part of our Bitcoin and crypto industry is being able to not only earn money in crypto, but also be able to spend it, earn rewards in crypto and keep that uh, revolution going, keep the cycle going of all of us together. Well, my partners at shopping.io are offering just that multi-tiered discounts up to 10% where you can spend your crypto anywhere that you're already buying everything already, Amazon, Walmart, eBay, but use your crypto to spend it earn back cash back earn back rewards and not only that but if you go to untoldstories.link forward slash shopping.io you get an additional on top of every other discount an additional two percent so you can go there now and shop and get 12 percent off of everything you're already buying anyways and use your crypto you can ship to uh, almost any country in the world, fantastic, fantastic company. Make sure you check them out at untoldstories.link forward slash shopping.io. What you're talking about is the separation between money and state. 
right? You, for the first time 10 years ago, Satoshi gave us a way to have that separation where we didn't have to be given it or like the power didn't have to be ceded. We didn't have to fight for that power from governments uh, to have that more control over our financial sovereignty. Uh, Satoshi gave us that ability to, to build it from scratch. But it seems like now it's trying to be enveloped, enveloped, enveloped. I don't know which, which, which is your journalist or you could probably tell me. It seems like that's what, uh, and we need to maintain that separation. So, so Lena, you've, you're a journalist for, for a long time. You've lived in a million places, travel around the world constantly, speak to a million people. Do you think, like, this is an honest question. Do you think there should be a, a full separation between money and state? Or, or like what role, if any, do governments, should governments have in like, uh, 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 like the money or the, the financial sovereignty of that, of that country or whatever? Well, I think we got to see like, what, what does it mean to separate money and state? And I think at the most basic level, it just means the state no longer controls the money. Like the state no longer controls the monetary policy, how much money is printed and can no longer surveil what the citizens are doing with that. And what that means basically is that the governments would have to start thinking differently. They couldn't um, print money to pay for things. They'd have to actually budget they couldn't, you know, they'd be less, way less tempted and way less able to surveil transactions. And uh, yeah, you need to actually start budgeting better. And um, that might have some, you know, consequences in the sense that there might be certain competition coming up in the sense that, you know, you have a budget and uh, if, if you need more money, you gotta raise taxes, for example. But if you raise taxes too much, your citizens are going to move elsewhere where countries are budgeting better, for example. So it's know, not it's just that they they won't just move elsewhere. But like, think about this, Lena. What if you had a a, a, a local version of Bitcoin in, uh, let's just say, Singapore, right? I'm going to use like one of my favorite countries uh, as an example. And the Singaporean government said, we're going to actually double the tax rate tomorrow. The citizens could then. Who are, who are of this local Bitcoin who are actually mining, running all the nodes could then vote to like, you know, double the supply of their local, of the, of the currency. You know, you could have a massive referendum of all Singaporeans say like, oh, your government are going to try to double the tax. We're going to like, you know, debase the currency to not let you do that. Like that's crazy game theory. <laughs> I can't even fathom if that's possible. Well, in that sense, you're talking about like a local currency that's like like a Singaporean dollar, but controlled by the Singaporean people. Mm -hmm. The question is, how do you, do you remember there that, was an right? experiment? Because it would still be controlled by the government to some extent, right? If you want to, well, maybe not. That. Like, do you remember there was a gentleman who tried airdropping tokens to every citizen of Iceland? It was a, like Aurora coin or something. I thought it was a great idea, but I thought it was like. It was like 2013. I was like way too early for this. Like no one even, you still had to convince people that Bitcoin wasn't a scam. Maybe now if he did it again, it could be cool. How would you connect the like database of citizens and then the airdrop part? I don't know. How would the, you know, how would that all work? I don't know. But imagine a world where like that, that was the, the game theory would be crazy, but that would be a full separation of money and state. But then the money, 
could have its own governance in and of itself, rival rivaling the state. Right. Though I do think that any, let's say you have like a local uh, Singaporean dollar, but you know you want to decentralize it, you want to have it controlled by your people. It's. I think it's very difficult to pull that off because either your government yeah, hard, issues yeah. it, and then you have this, you know, the, you have this centralizing factor. If you want to, um, you know, bootstrap at least want to start it like Bitcoin, it's going to be. I think almost impossible because, and that's what people say when they talk of Bitcoin's immaculate conception, right? And Bitcoin's, you know, it's impossible to create another Bitcoin. Launch. Yeah. yeah. So, so it, it, it wouldn't work. So it would never be as, as decentralized. So, you know, you could have it, you know, you could have a Singaporean dollar kind of thing, and then you ha have some other national currency and they could be rivaling, but then, it, it would still be a completely different level than Bitcoin. Yeah, you couldn't, the reason you couldn't recreate Bitcoin today because then everyone would know that you're recreating a cryptocurrency and the game theory behind the creation of a cryptocurrency wouldn't be there. The reason it's, it's where it is today is because no one tried. Like we tried, but it wasn't, it wasn't forced. It was different. It, I can't explain it. Or I, I should be able to, but it's like, uh well if you try you to create bitcoin now people know you're trying to create bitcoin they'll they it's won't it's yeah. too dangerous bitcoin is too dangerous to be recreated it will be attacked bitcoin at the beginning was very weak you know and could very vulnerable and if oh, a yeah. state had wanted to attack it, it it would have worked now it's too late but now if it happens again you know it'll be cracked down on that's why any coins that you know come up now, if if they're going to be successful, successful by whatever definition of the term, they they will have some sort of centralized entity or centralizing factor. There's a lot of um, uh, misinformation and like crappy journalism in our space. Still is. Uh, we're finally seeing now like the newer crop of companies that are like hyper focused, hyper niche. You have BTC Times. You have actually my parent company, the Blockworks Group, Blockworks.co. They are um, another journal, uh, another media like Bloomberg for crypto. Um, you have uh, the newer, like I see CoinDesk and the Block and some of the others are bringing on um, people from some of these other mainstream media. Although you'd say like, you know, why do we want those people in the first place? Whatever. Um, how do my listeners decipher what's what's real and what's bad? How do they decipher if they're going to a place where they're reading some crypto news, they're in an app, they're reading about something? Uh, how do they know if it's good or bad? Uh, and like, what's the deal with journalists cite, using Twitter as source as sources for for articles nowadays? It's, Twitter is not a source. Yeah, you know. So, well, there's two questions in there. Like, how do you find good news? It's really hard. It's getting increasingly harder because you have major news outlets publishing poorly researched stuff which seems to be out for clicks and not much else and there's you know there's a lot of reasons for that it's often that um you and let's say you have a big mainstream media outlet and they see okay something's happening with bitcoin tesla bought bitcoin for example mm. that we should talk about it right and then they they assign it to one of their journalists, and that journalist maybe usually writes about business, uh, stocks, economics, th those kinds of things. 
they might not have a, back, a background in Bitcoin because there's very few people that are journalists and are Bitcoin savvy. So this person with little background in Bitcoin then tries to write the story. And what do they do? I guess they go to Google, they Google it, they find some other story and they build their hypothesis off that. And it's it's just never going to have this background that you as, as a Bitcoiner, especially you as an OG, would want to have in such a story. And it, it just builds up a lot of, you know, poor research or misinformation and that single side has this major reach still. Yeah. Cause it still has this major reach. It, it spreads really, really quickly. And then ironically you have Elon Musk taking such a headline and using yeah. it for his arguments. Um, right. But the part with Twitter that I think is interesting. Um, well, there's different types of content out there. Right. But Sometimes I would say there is very valuable and increasingly very valuable information on Twitter where I would feel sometimes Twitter commentary on a certain story provides as much, if not more value on the topic than the actual story itself. That's of course not saying, you know, um, Apple bought 5 billion worth of Bitcoin sources. <laughs> That's not what I mean. But you have people like, let's say Nick Carter providing amazing commentary yeah. on Twitter. And I would rather, you know, journalists go and take that as a source than, you know, they Google and take, you know, the first headline they can find. And, and you look at what Jack Dorsey did, too. He had to put out uh, a white paper talking about how the environmental impact of crypto of Bitcoin is so much FUD right now and so wrong. And thankfully, like New York Magazine, just I think a day or two ago, wrote a very, very well written two sided piece on that. Um, but it's it's we're dealing with it again. It's it's the season. It's like every year or two, China's just today another article. China's banning Bitcoin again. It's like coordinated FUD uh, misinformation. I think it's bigger and crazier every year. But the one thing I will say is this: the people that in that bought in during those times are the ones who made their fortunes. You know how many times I woke up in the morning and. Like my gut, and I knew it, it was like a crazy trading day. And it happened just the other day. And you see the crazy range, the crazy rate, like the crazy trading, uh, you know, within 60 minutes, up 3%, down 3%, up 8%, like crazy range bouncing. Every day I'll wake up and I'll talk to anyone who's around me and I'll say, today is the day that fortunes are made and lost. It's that, it's like, and it, and it happens. It happens. And those days, these are the days that the smart people are the ones that are making the right trades. Uh, it's crazy. It's, and, uh, um, I'm ready for the day when we've reached the point of like, uh, hyper Bitcoinization in the world, I guess is what I'm, what I'm looking forward to. Cause you can say, I told you so. Yeah. And less stress. How important is the, is how important is like the anonymity of Satoshi in this whole thing? That's interesting. Um, I think there's two there's two levels to that in terms of importance. Um, his the importance of his disappearance for like the continuation of Bitcoin, for example, is at this point at this point right now low. So if he or she or they came back today and said I'm Satoshi and actually proved it. Um, it wouldn't mean much for Bitcoin. It would shock the market for sure in one way or another, depending, you know, media would jump on it and 
some like it, it would have a short-term market reaction but satoshi would have no influence on bitcoin's protocol or network or you know bitcoin's overall direction at this point simply because bitcoin's way too far along and that's a good thing you know because um anything else if satoshi hadn't disappeared in the first place for example having a figurehead is in my opinion a pretty bad thing you, like just look at look at doge right now new figurehead is elon musk if, yeah. if elon musk says tomorrow you know i dumped all my doge i was wrong no way it's gonna stay at uh, 30 wherever 30 cents it is right now uh no way it's gonna stay there so he has a major impact on um well, not just the market, I think at this point, he could also impact more when it comes to Do Dogecoin. Would um, you say that Satoshi sacrificed himself for the sake of Bitcoin? He sacrificed himself for the for the future of Bitcoin. Uh, he economically really, really sacrificed himself. He did the most unhuman thing, giving up power and, and money uh, for the sake of something that could could have become nothing very very inhuman like it's so grappling how inhuman that is um it is do you think he set a precedent of that bitcoin can never have a hero bitcoin can never have a hero because satoshi who is the ultimate hero sacrificed himself for that and maybe that's why elon musk had such a 360 because, at least in my theory, is because he tried to become the hero of Bitcoin. And for a period, he was becoming that. But as soon as he got a little bit too powerful, you know, crypto Twitter and, and the larger crypto community revolted against that uh, and pissed him off. And that's what happened. So he went, you know, went to Doge, which was like, hey, we want the hero. Doge, Doge is pissed off. Jackson left. And Jack and Jackson didn't leave because he, you know, doesn't really like he had other private reasons. Jackson Palmer, the founder of Doge. Uh, so maybe that's kind of like, in my view, maybe that's what's going on. What do you think? Yeah, it, it, you never know. I, honestly, I have no idea what Elon Musk is thinking. <laughs> but um, I don't yeah, even I've, think I've he thinks theory. in yeah. the way we think. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've heard of the theory, and maybe, you know, maybe, but if if he has any common sense, he will not turn his back on Bitcoin because it, Bitcoin and Doge are light years apart. And I see no scenario in which he wouldn't at least be partially aware of that, you know? And, and if he isn't yet, he will be very soon. So uh, maybe he likes being a hero. It, he might be, you know, he's marketed himself fantastically to be this tech genius he's like the super cool nerd that's so real with people so approachable so surreal at the same time is that why we feel this fascination you know that people have with him it's why people is that him. that is that why there was like almost like a betrayal feeling or like almost he became the villain because he was the hero at first if he was never the hero if he never tried to be that then he wouldn't be what he is now in, in the Bitcoin space. So what's the difference between someone like him and Michael Saylor? I think, well, okay, let's say if Michael Saylor tomorrow says, um, you know, 
I'm, I'm going to sell my Bitcoin because Bitcoin destroys the environment. The same would happen to him as has been happening with Elon on Twitter. I think, and, and a lot of people like to say, you know, we don't need Elon and uh, Bitcoin doesn't need Elon, which is true. But still, there's been a very strong reaction because he seemed so you know, well positioned to become a Bitcoiner huh, yeah. before he first got involved. You know, he he seemed to understand the the shortcomings of the fiat system. And when he first got involved, people were like, okay, it makes sense. You know, finally he's he's one of us. So him turning around on it and you know making these statements that are first let's say they look like trolls and then now they to me they just seem clearly uninformed. Um it, it was, I think it caused a lot of disbelief. So people were like trying to, to, to sway him and still are, you know, which is also fine. Um, but I think people didn't want to realize it at first. And another major thing, another major issue that people have, I believe, is just the, the level of, you know, the irresponsible, irresponsibility, irresponsibleness. Yeah. No, that's yeah. you're right. Irresponsibility. irresponsibility of, this is yeah. our jobs. We work. We feed our families here. We're not playing around. You know, go find another social experiment to fuck with. Yeah. The thing is, he, because of his status and, you know, he's one of the richest people in the world. He has this, um, this mega reputation and there's 55 million people following him on Twitter. Even more people know him and maybe read about him online a lot. If he says something there's going to be a lot of people that follow him because there is no, it's, among Bitcoiners, it's a very strong culture to ask questions, to not take things at face value. But outside of the space, it's not, this is not a common thing. So people will What's see frustrating what is that says and they will follow. I agree with you so much. And the only thing I would add, only little thing I would add is that he took, he pulled at our heartstrings by by, by rage quitting with FUD that is so wrong and so easily proven to be wrong and stupid and something that we've been fighting for a long time. That's the only thing I would add. Like it wasn't, if it was something actually real, if he was, you know, going after something that uh, actually where Bitcoin actually negatively affects the world, then yeah, you know, we should all, like you said, we're, we're a question asking community. We're a question asking society. We all left our other communities, societies, social communities, because we asked too many questions in those communities. And here we are. And that's what we do. We ask questions and we, we challenge constantly. Why do why do then people feel the need to like rage quit from Elon Musk to even Mike Hearn in 2014 or whenever it was? Gavin, why do they feel a need to like write these long-winded posts like a huff and puff and storm off? It's it doesn't make any common sense to me. Yeah. Well, I mean the the one thing to Oh, that's always good to keep in mind is in the long run, the only one is going to, not the only one, but in the long run, it's going to hurt them more than it hurts Bitcoin. Like obviously yeah, exactly. him, him, Elon Musk now, you know, saying these things, time will prove him wrong. 
And it's not like he has absolutely no point talking about Bitcoin's environmental impact. Um, there are things that you can say, but he, you know, I think people would would have appreciated it more if he had said sure, something like, a, "We're working yeah. on, you know, we're working on great solutions," because you know he has skin in the game with Tesla, and they apparently haven't sold, so he still has that skin in the game. So that would have made a lot more sense and would have become way better. Um, well, I don't know if it would have become better PR for him. Depends on you know which perspective you have. But Elon Musk realized very early on that that that. And he said this, you know, I think I forget on some podcast, he realized very early on that the only way to make change is to do it yourself. He realized he said that that's SpaceX, Tesla, anyone tries to get in your way. He said, F you, you know, the government to investors. He just said, F you. And he just does. And, and I revere him for that. I look at him as like, wow, like you want to we want to put someone, you know, we want to take humans to Mars. We got to just wake up and do it. Um, and that's what we do in Bitcoin. And so Bitcoiners and our community, our community is actually one of the best fights against helping the world get to zero carbon emissions. Bitcoiners, I, I forget the actual statistic, but I think it's like 70, over 70% 70 of Bitcoin right now, the Bitcoin network is powered by renewable energy sources. The Bitcoin network is, uh, uses, I forget how much exact electricity right now, but it uses about double that of Switzerland on a yearly basis or something around, no, not double, around the same amount of electricity that Switzerland uses, the whole global Bitcoin network uses. And it's like 70% renewable power. That renewable power is being used, is being built for Bitcoin miners. Bitcoin miners are using their own money to build renewable energy sources. So when countries can actually get to, to net zero, it's because of Bitcoin miners. Not only that, but everyone's looking at the electricity uh, and the power, the energy that we're using. And it's like, oh, we're emitting all this greenhouse gases and carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, all this, you know, cars and Tesla coal plants for superchargers. No, Bitcoin miners emit almost nothing. There's almost nothing going back in to our atmosphere. Whereas almost all other energy that's being consumed right now from my computer to Tesla supercharges is putting shit back into the environment. So he could have said that. He could have said that. And, and, and it's, it's that. It's like when now I have people telling me, Charlie, you're killing the environment by promoting Bitcoin for the past 10 years because they read one tweet from Elon Musk. It's stupidity. Yeah. Well, see, the argument you could make is um, by, so what Tesla said is by not accepting Bitcoin anymore, we're, you know, we're effectively producing less carbon emissions because of this, you know, skewed energy per transaction logic, which, you know, has been debunked and, well, they brought it up again. But a credit card holding... transaction uses more Hurts the environment more than a Bitcoin transaction does. Like, yeah. doesn't anyone see that? Well, the thing is also Tesla is still holding Bitcoin and that Bitcoin is secure because of Bitcoin's proof of work. And so Tesla is still benefiting from the very system that they have been um, complaining about. And, you know, so, this, so maybe this, this is the ultimate troll. 
Maybe he's trolling us. Maybe my reactions right now are what he wanted. Maybe he wanted us to talk about this more. Maybe he does love Bitcoin, but sometimes you have to go and throw your, your kid, you know, in the deep end. Uh, well, as I said, I have no idea what this man is. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's the title of this episode. The, yeah, there's, we don't this, know you know, at the moment, there's a lot of numbers being thrown around. And like, I, I saw them for the first time, actually, when this whole controversy came up, because I never had any numbers on the percentages of renewable energy and whatnot. So it seems to be this Cambridge uh, study, this recent one, this benchmark study, um, where you know 70%. So you, you either have people saying 70% is renewable or 30% is renewable, right? It turns out that according to the study, which I, I don't remember how many miners they they actually talked to, but I think 70% uses in, in part renewable energy and then 30% is total renewable energy, which is you know less I than understand that's yeah, it's 70. like 70% of 30 or yeah. something like that, or 30 of yeah, 70. But, yeah, but still. What uh, Tesla argued was the rapidly increasing use of fossil fuels, especially coal. But if you compare the latest Cambridge study to one they did in 2019, I think, uh, it turns out that, uh, if I remember correctly, the uh, percentage of renewable energy used for Bitcoin mining has increased since then. So I don't even know what they're on about. <laughs> it all seems very random and very uselessly destructive and in the long run, it won't do anything to the Bitcoin network. In the short run, it has hurt a lot of people. It will hurt a lot of people that are in Doge right now, I think, yeah. in my opinion. Um, yes. Yeah, but that's I've never that's said no. Like Elon is not going to be hurt by it. You know, he's still going to be rich at the end of it. Yeah. A lot of people are asking me about like buying Dogecoin and I've never said like not to buy something, but it's like, don't, don't get in on, on a coiner token that like, you're just, I don't know, like do your own research. It's, it's one thing to hear about something from someone you like and know. It's another thing to just like blindly follow and be faith. And you know, that's a very different thing that no one should do. And that's what's happening with, with him right now. Uh, yeah. Nobody should buy Doge because Elon said to buy. Nobody should buy Bitcoin because Elon said, you know, but his influence is very strong. And people so tell will me about it. the BTC times. Like what, uh, what, what was the, uh, uh, um, the straw that broke the camel's back for you guys? You're backed by a lot of prominent investors in the, in the, in the Bitcoin space. I don't know why I wasn't asked to invest, but it's okay. Maybe <laughs> it got lost in the mail. Fine. Uh, you still why? can. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, I, I thought it was a brilliant idea. It's all, it, you, you're, you're, you're walking a very fine line. You have to toe this line because uh, a lot of people will accuse you or accuse the BTC Times of being like this censored, not you specifically, but, but like pro or like pro Bitcoin or pro one specific coin type of thing. And, and, and I'm here to point out how wrong that is. I do this show to point out how wrong that is. So what are we writing about in the BTC Times today? What's going on? Uh, I really oh. like the layout. It's so clean and nice and, and simple. Uh, why did you guys launch this? Uh, and, and, and what's the editorial process like? How do you choose what topics to write about? Yeah, we launched the BTC Times because we felt there was a need for more 
Bitcoin news. You know, there is a lot of outlets there, but not a lot, but there's a growing number of outlets talking about cryptocurrencies. The thing is that there are thousands of coins that are taking up a lot of um, space in these outlets just because there, there's a lot going on and it takes away uh, from, from the Bitcoin content. And we, we believe that Bitcoin and really in, in this regard, only Bitcoin matters and shouldn't be conflated with other cryptocurrencies. And I like to refer to uh, something that Michael Saylor told um, our editor Elaine in an, in an interview last year in December, where he said, crypt, uh, Bitcoin shouldn't be compared to cryptocurrencies. It, it should be compared to, you know, the it should be seen as a store of value. It, it competes with this financial system. It doesn't compete with cryptocurrencies, other cryptocurrencies. So we don't even want to you know, talk about whatever rivalry is going on. I don't put it in the basket. I don't me? put it in the, I, I say some people like put everything in crypto. I, on this show specifically, I say Bitcoin and crypto. Crypto is its own thing. Bitcoin is its own thing. Right. Yeah. And that's the and, way it should be. Yeah. And we focus on Bitcoin. So we, 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 we do write about Bitcoin, but we don't want to write, you know, opinions. When we report news, we report news. When we have opinions, we have opinions. I right? like but it. There yeah, there's such. no opinions. There's no and hostility. It's nothing. It's very nice. Thank you. <laughs> we are, you know, very desperately looking for writers, though. So if anybody of your listeners would like to write for us, then we are very happy to, to have a chat. Um, Drop an email address where they can submit because last time someone did that, there was like 50 writers that message. So, so where can they, where can they send you their, uh, some, some examples of things they've written? That'd be amazing. Just, uh, you can just use editor at btctimes.com. That should be the best way. And then, yeah, we'll, we'll take a look and we might reach out. We are guys, really, do it, do it. Yeah. <laughs> we are, like, um, we're, we're looking for, for writers, you know, it's, uh, yeah, the, the, there's so much interest we've been receiving. We've, I think our Twitter following grew a lot in, in the last couple of months. I think we're at 90K right now, which is amazing, um, which tells us there is demand. And we're currently not able to, um, to to meet that demand for all this news. We'd like to put out way more. So, you know, feel free. To What's your out. favorite topic to write about? Personally? Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> I, th there's a lot going on. I have a few, um, I, I, I published a few pieces on the BTC Times. I, I wish I had time to write more. One that I really enjoyed to do was my interview with Gloria, Gloria Zhao. She's a Bitcoin core contributor. contributor. And uh, we, we talked about, you know, her, her path down the rabbit hole, which was very interesting. And uh, it, it turned out people really liked that. And I really enjoy doing these kinds of profiles for, you know, people that have maybe some unconventional paths into Bitcoin because her past isn't, you know, the, the perfect Bitcoin past that you would, that, that you think people have, but it what is very real. She, uh, she was a student in, uh, at Berkeley University and she was at, uh, she was the president of a, I think like a blockchain group. And she was very involved in, you know, blockchain projects. And um, when we talked about it, she said she felt a bit, you know, ashamed because of that. But I think a lot of people have that kind of past. They don't come to Bitcoin from Bitcoin. 
sometimes they come to Bitcoin from other projects. They they find other projects first, and then they get into Bitcoin. Then they realize, oh wait, Bitcoin is very interesting. <laughs> and then she was uh, discovered by. Um, Why would John she be Murray? ashamed of that? That's like how it really happens. A lot of times, people learn about other things first, then they make their way. They find their way into Bitcoin when they realize it's the most true message. I yeah, sound like well, a religion now. <laughs> There's people that argue it is a religion, right? <laughs> I, I may be one of those people that argue that. And I don't disagree that that may be a bad thing. I think what we think is modern day religion is a bad thing. But the concept of community and tradition and family is not a bad thing. But I, but but continue with the story, please. Why was she? Oh, yeah. Well, I think the reason she's ashamed is because, you know, there's a very strong uh, Bitcoin only culture, especially if you um, are... You know, if you're active on Twitter or on social media at all, you see people bashing against other coins all the time. So I guess she just she just felt a bit ashamed of that. Um, but I don't think uh, I don't think it's a big deal. It's you know, everybody has their their path to Bitcoin. So, but anyway, so that that were her were her concerns. Um, but she was eventually um, she applied at like a summer program at. Um, Chaincode Labs, I believe. And she wasn't accepted in at first, but later she was invited into the next one, into like the summer, I was going to say summer camp, but that's not it. Some kind of summer program. I want to go to a Bitcoin summer camp. <laughs> that would be so much fun. There. Oh my God, that would be amazing. Like a, yeah, like after a this pandemic. Yeah, well, like Bruce kind of d- d- does it with the, with the round table. That's kind of like summer camp because you bring your fa- everyone brings their families and stuff like that. In Mexico, right. I don't want to go to Mexico right now. That's <laughs> yeah. the only thing. Yeah. So she did that program and um, she she then learned that, you know, Bitcoin core contributor developers and contributors often they search for new people that they can help get into it and train them and show them how to contribute so that you know this this whole thing lives on because it's not a job you apply for and then you get paid, right? You start it as a volunteer. And she was one of the very few people who really put in the work. And from my conversation with her, I could really hear that she's extremely disciplined. And um, I tried to, you know, highlight that in in the article. And that was a really fun article to write, um, just because it it shows you a bit of the people behind Bitcoin. You know, it shows you their their background, it shows you what they believe in. And yeah, yeah. developers on Bitcoin are like the most self-righteous people that I know because uh, not only are they working very, very hard uh, for for free, um, they also have to deal with so much shit all the time. Uh, and I feel really bad. So thank you to those who are working on Bitcoin and and not only to Bitcoin, but, but, but any developers working on really any piece of software who has to deal with people who don't understand software. Uh, I'm sorry. And thank you for doing that. But um, do they still view, did she view her like role as, as a sacred one? Not at all. Not at all. She's really, uh, I've met her as a really like modest person and she is very aware of um, her role in this whole um yeah, in, in this whole network, you know, she's contributing and she's trying to make Bitcoin better, but she doesn't 
think that, you know, she's super important, which, you know, you can agree or disagree. Like, I think what she's doing is extremely important, um, but she doesn't see herself as, you know, better or um, yeah, higher up than somebody who maybe is not contributing to Bitcoin. There's many different ways that you can be active in and around Bitcoin. You know, the media created that narrative. The narratives are created and then people join our industry now and they look at the media and they look at the history and they think they know what happened. But you and I were there and that's not what's actually going on. So yeah. your role is to correct and to preserve the history of what's going on. My role is to do it and preserve it uh, as well as best I can. Um, but that's really what we're, we're fighting against because the Craig Wrights of the world, there's going to be more of them. The attacks that we're seeing now, the FUD, we ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to be more and it's going to be worse as Bitcoin grows and as it hits, reaches certain milestones and as it starts to be more part of mainstream payment systems and collateralization, uh, it's, it's not going to stop. So thank you so much for taking the time and coming on Untold Stories today. Thank you for writing. Thank you for doing your job. I, hope, uh, I can't wait to see you back on the show. Hopefully in six months from now, we can catch up again. And, uh, and I wish you the best of luck and, and, uh, and, and health and happiness. Thank you. Same to you. Thanks so much for having me on. And thank you for doing your work. <laughs> <laughs>